was like, this is this Negro pepper, the African pepper. I mean, there's a reason why it's a part of us. There's a reason why it's in our community. Horace Pippen doesn't have his hands in us for no reason. These A-rappers didn't have their hands in for no reason. So what, so what are these uniquely black stories? What makes them, what makes them a part of us? Peace and blessings, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Seeds and Their People. We'd like to dedicate this episode, first and foremost, uh, since we are celebrating around the time of the traditional uh, Thanksgiving uh, feast day here in the United States. We want to take a moment to lift up in power and in peace all of the indigenous native peoples of this land, and in particular, the ancestors, uh, for all of those righteous grandmothers and grandfathers on whose soil we have the blessing to have lived and grown up. May their memory be for a blessing, and may the descendants live in power and in peace. We also want to lift up a young mentee and co-worker of Brother Xavier Brown over at Soilful City. We'd like to dedicate this episode in part also to young Kareem Palmer, uh, a young brother of 16 who lost his life recently. He was a faithful member of the farm, a worker, a student, and someone who was very important uh, in the life of Brother Xavier and of the community in which he lived. May he rest in power and peace, and may he sit with his ancestors uh, in paradise until we all meet again. Ashe. Ashe. So we recorded an intro to this episode back in June, and we're actually going to keep it. So I'm going to keep this short. But the one thing that wasn't really included was what's going to happen in this episode. So just so you know, we're going to start off with an interview with Xavier Brown and Denzel Mitchell. Um, Xavier runs Soilful City and makes something called Pippin Sauce out of fish peppers. Uh, And Denzel Mitchell... He grows those peppers for Soilful City for their hot sauce and has been growing those peppers for many, many years before that as well. Then we talk to Dr. William Moyes Weaver himself, um, whose grandfather received fish peppers and other pepper seeds from Horace Pippin. And then we're going to talk to Michael Twitty, author of The Cooking Gene, um, who also talks a bit about his relationship both to the fish pepper and foods and plants of the African diaspora in general. So without further ado, here's our introduction from June. And uh, here we go.
Welcome back to Seeds and Their People. I'm Chris Bolden Newsom, farmer and co-director of the Sankofa Community Farm at Bartram's Garden in sunny Southwest Philadelphia. And I'm Owen Taylor, seed keeper and farmer at True Love Seeds. It's a seed company offering culturally important seeds grown by farmers committed to food sovereignty, cultural preservation, and sustainable agriculture. And we're back after several months away. What's been happening? <laughs> well, you tell me. We've been we've been indoors a lot of time. Well, I mean, I guess also we as essential workers, this uh, newly created category have actually been out in the field. So that's not true. We've been definitely indoors more than we would previously, but so much more than that has been happening just on the social level, uh, interpersonal level, and then our spiritual worlds and in the way we do farming and in the way we relate to our community during uh, a time of worldwide sustained panic. So, yeah, I think a lot of uh, unexpected and completely unimagined blessings and, uh, you know, doors have been opened up as a result of uh, what's happening in the earth and in our bodies uh, right now. But it's also been very hard, as most meaningful and powerful things uh, tend to be. Yeah. I mean, starting at the beginning, a few days after our last podcast was released, we, you know, the world went into kind of lockdown. And um, we... You know, I had to move overnight our seed operation uh, to the house here, away from where it was at Bartram's Garden. And since then, I've probably filled close to 2,500 orders by myself because people suddenly wanted seeds more than ever since suddenly, just like many people around the world have experienced before, you know, having a hard time accessing fresh food, affordable food, um, something that I know poor people and a lot of people of color have already been experiencing. Everybody's experiencing. So people decided they wanted to grow their own gardens, which is awesome. And it means we're selling out of seeds we thought might last a few years. So it's had a big impact on on my work and the work of seed companies and seed savers all over the world. So we're growing, you know, more rows, packing more rows into our farm than we planned on to replenish the seeds and hoping to help people learn how to keep their own seeds this year. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, we're growing more rows, definitely, but we also are trying to, both by intuition and just by what we know uh, from our community, uh, grow more nutritionally dense uh, varieties. And uh, not to put a plug in for true love, but <laughs> the shoe fits. Uh, seriously, we, um, you know, we've been really blessed by the varieties, both that we grow, um, you know, for, for true love and for distribution throughout the world, as well as those that, um, that we've encountered through our connections and relationships, um, you know, with, with true love and, 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 and other people, all our community. So yeah, trying to grow more beans, trying to grow more dense roots, trying to grow more pumpkins and storage, carbon what is it? Low carbon, zero carbon, um, storage foods. I think, isn't it what, uh, my sister Winona Duke, uh, refers to them as? Yeah. 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 Pumpkins and, and, and winter squashes as zero carbon because you store them 
with no need for refrigeration or anything like that. And they keep for months and how the ancestors of this land um, ate and survived and thrived throughout the wonders. We honor just the spirits of all these ancestral foods that are coming back to help nourish us, you know. So I just want to give a big shout out uh, to the creator moving through um, these wonderful species and to also what's have raising up in people's hearts and minds to want to get these species again. You know, so I'm particularly grateful for black and brown folks who are getting these seeds and 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 taking a new look at it or, you know, as well as to everybody and anybody, um, but particularly to people who are who are reclaiming, um, you know, you know, who are following that that instinct um, to move towards their their grandmother's uh, foods and nourishments and in and wanting to to get that back, whoever they are, wherever they come from. So, yeah, hard time, but also some beauty. Yeah, and, you know, now in the last few weeks, obviously our focus has shifted as a country and as the world to Black Lives Matter movement, to the violence against Black people by the police and beyond. And that has been really overshadowing our work and our lives and our everything. You know, we met through this work around racial justice. That's literally how we met. Um, And we've been doing this work for a long time, but it's really underlined and grounded this moment in the importance of lifting up Black people and changing the world in a way that somehow we create a new a new reality where, where this isn't happening every day, where we're not hearing about black be- people being murdered this often without justice being served. So today we have uh, an interview, actually several interviews. We're going to focus on the fish pepper. I'm curious what you have to say about the fish pepper or even just about and why are these interviews important right now? Yeah. So for me, the fish pepper is, wow, what to say about the fish pepper? You know, it's, it, I was uh, initially flummoxed. Is that the word? I really want really want to use that word. I don't know that I ever have in life, so thank you for the opportunity. But I was very flummoxed uh, when thinking about uh, uh, what would I say about ye old fish pepper. Um, and uh, it's, it's, you know, I think the first thing to start with, of course, is it's dramatic appearance, you know, um, it's a beautiful, striking plant, which, you know, I, I, you know, and I know people always start with that, but I, I, as a farmer and as a natural agriculture practitioner, am, am very impressed by its, its very distinct spiritual energy in a garden. I can't quite describe what, you know, I mean, you know, that one could describe any spiritual energy, but I can't quite describe exactly what it is. But I think it's uh, its appearance evokes so much beauty. So uh, white coloration is modeled white leaves for those who've never seen it and modeled uh, sort of swirled white fruit uh, that sort of changes color. Uh, you know, it's brilliant sort of coloration as it as it matures. And for me, I, I think just moving into its story. Uh, it's powerful to me uh, as a Southerner, as a Mississippian, because it is not my ancestor's pepper, my direct ancestor's pepper. 
I can lay claim to it as an, as, as an African in the diaspora. Um, but it is a very distinctly uh, Eastern, East Coast, uh, sort of Mid-Atlantic, African-associated uh, pepper. Now, in West Africa, my people say that all food is just a vehicle for pepper. You know, if you ever had fish pepper, um, then you know that that is uh, one fine pepper flavor to ride with. Uh, we make a pep, we make a pepper sauce, a very delicious pepper sauce out of it every year. It's just marvelous. It, it comes to us through African American chefs uh, and farmers who I think the story is largely that it's used in African for African Americans, and that's association with that. We have to remember this pepper, like all chilies, is from South America. You know, the South and Central American origin. Um, so it made its way up here and became sort of uh, adopted and adapted by African-Americans uh, in this powerful way in the Chesapeake Bay. And so to me, it's a distinctly, uh, you know, Eastern seaboard African relative. Uh, and my hat's off to that. So I'm very excited every time I see African people in the diaspora find ways to reconnect with what has always nourished us with what we've created. And I think that the power of a story in these times, especially, is so crucial for black folks throughout the diaspora, particularly right now in, in, in North America, because we have to honor what we have created. One of, you know, if I can just put my Cornell West hat on for a minute, I'll take it off in a second. But it, it, it seriously, you know, I, I do feel often that one of, of the things that holds my people back from really realizing our own, uh, you know, power and beauty is so often much because of trauma, much because of just, you know, the exhaustion of constant, the constant uh, race to survive psychologically, spiritually, physically, emotionally, you know, relationally, um, you know, we lose uh, or, or, or put aside um, many of the things, uh, you know, the cultural uh, jewels and, and cultural ropes and lassos that our ancestors left uh, you know, that would pull us closer to who we really are and to what nourished us and what helped them to survive. And so I believe that the fish pepper is an example of that. It's one of the stories, it's one of the things that we created with what we had. And that's a very distinct and beautiful African process in this country. When we take what we've encountered, because we are so far from home in so many ways, um, and we recognize that of us. And I would say that of God because of that in this thing. And we call it um, what we call it and we make it our own. And I think that's what happened with the fish pepper. And um, yeah, I could go on and on, but maybe I shouldn't so that we can get to these interviews. I will say, though, that it also stands out to me, you know, from an African spiritual uh, standpoint, because in many of my ancestors, uh, spiritual traditions, white is a color associated with the ancestors. It's associated with the spirit world, you know, and, and there's so much to say about that. But the color white is often used in ritual for that reason. You know, um, you know, you, you go to funerals in white, you know, uh, uh, you wear white during rituals for your ancestors. And that also, you know, I think is in the West also too, this white is associated with the spiritual world for different reasons. This whole notion of purity and that sort of stuff that was, that never came from my people. You know, it wasn't about purity. It was about power. 
uh, and spiritual power. And so just the physical affect of this pepper and its mottled whiteness, uh, you know, white and greenness, you know, uh, to me also carries a story uh, in and of itself, you know, that it, it so it is sacred in that way, in the way that all of the stories that we keep and hold on to and pass on become sacred because they help us to survive, they help us to live, and they help us to remember who we are. Um, this pepper has a vibrant uh, reminder in its own green body, green and white body. I think of that. So I love it for that and want to get to know it a little bit more. It's not from my ancestors, my direct ancestors, but I'm excited to be brought into uh, the uh, East Coast African-American community um, to to grow it and, and eat it and, and spread it. So here we bring you to January 2020 in East Hyattsville, Maryland, at the Future Harvest Conference put on by the Chesapeake Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture, or CASA. I attended and recorded a workshop led by Xavier Brown of Soilful City. He makes a spicy and sweet pepper sauce with fish peppers grown by black farmers in the Baltimore and D.C. areas. He calls it Pippin Sauce to honor and lift up the story of famed African-American artist Horace Pippin. So the story is that, or the, the story goes, is that, you know, Horace Pippin and H.R. Root, is anybody familiar with William Royce Weaver? Mm-hmm. He's like a world-renowned sea keeper. He's, he's, uh, he's pretty, he's a well-known, I guess he's not that well-known. <laughs> but if you to Google his name, you go to his website, he has seeds from all over the world, all over the place. His grandfather and Horace Pippin knew each other. I guess whether you consider them friends, they acquaintances, mm-hmm. they, they were friends up in Pennsylvania. Uh, there was a, a remedy, maybe, I guess this, to, for lack of a better term, to, you know, to stick, you stick your hand in the beehive that would help to kind of deal with the, the numbness or the arthritis that Horace Pippen was going through, um, you know, with being shot during World War One. H.R. Weaver and Horace Pippen are friends. And of course, we all know that if, you, if you, your bees, if you have a, a hive, your bees sting, they're going to die. And so, you know, you know, Pippen's, you know, coming to Weaver is like, this is my interpretation. He's like, bro, can I stick my hand in your uh, beehive? He's like, come on, man, you ain't gonna kill all my bees. So he has, you know, he has the seeds and he's like, you know, we can swap and trade. And so I, I actually just recently learned that, you know, people were saying that, that, that uh, Horace Pippen was getting seeds from chefs and he wasn't a gardener himself. But I just learned actually today that he was a gardener. So he had his own garden. So he was kind of saving these seeds. And at the time, the fish pepper seed was used by African-American chefs to make a fish pepper sauce that's like totally different from mine, but a fish pepper sauce, and that's how they got the name. They can be traced back to the Caribbean, you know. Um, so Horace Pippen and H.R. Weaver make, you know, they make the swap. As time goes on, um, the only way, does anybody know that like the number one way to save seeds? Anybody? Freezer. Freezer. You gotta grow them. That's the only way to save seeds. They're gonna recreate, you know what I'm saying? The only way to save seeds. It's like a trick. I'm sorry. So the only, way, <laughs> only way to save seeds, you have to grow them, right? So if the seeds aren't being grown, they, they, and essentially they, they like cease to exist. And so um, as time goes on, black people make, move, move away from the land. People start growing seeds. Urbanization happens. People stop growing fish pepper seeds. And so the seeds kind of like die off, kind of like, you know, if people not growing them, they don't exist anymore. So they die off. Um, William Ward's Weaver, H.R. Weaver's grandson, I believe that when his grandfather passed away, he said they, they were cleaning out his refrigerator, his freezer, and he finds 
Pippin seed. So Pippin, I think he has like multiple like seeds kind of in his collection. These are the ones that I was given. And so um, he finds the seeds and he kind of brings them back to, he just brings them back to life for lack of a better term. You know, gives them, gives them the people, start selling them and they kind of bounce back. They, uh, their connection is deeply rooted in, in this mid-Atlantic between Baltimore in Pennsylvania. So that was another reason why I grew them. So as like I, I mentioned before, as a part of the Seed Keepers Collective, Owen was a part of that collective, taught a lot of us how to save seeds and keep seeds. Owen worked for William Wars Weaver. They worked together. And so I was able to kind of get the seeds kind of through the direct lineage of, you know, Horace Pippen, which kind of added to the, to like, okay, I gotta keep, keep the vibe going with these seeds, right? And so that's kind of how it, how it started with those seeds. And that's why I think it's important to like for any product that you use i think like the story behind it it adds to it now that i told you that story it makes you more likely you, you want to be like man this is a dope so at a minimum you want to get the seeds from me and you'll probably want to buy the sauce you know just to know like you know, what, what it's about that's kind of like the story behind the sauce do you have more here yes i definitely have bottles here we will, go ahead you have seeds i did i had, do have seeds i didn't bring any with me he, uh, this guy right here might have seeds He's you like, have, the, he gave me the seeds. Oh, seeds? yeah. We sell his seeds. Yeah. Oh, that's another. So I'm sorry. It's a, it's a, a lot of moving parts. So at True Love Seeds. Yeah. So, so the, 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 another kind of added layer onto it is that I save the seeds. I send them to Owen. He sells the seeds and he gives me a check. So he sells the seeds that I save for him. Xavier will be sending us his next round of fish pepper seeds shortly. And at that point, you can get his seeds at trueloveseeds.com. As with all the growers we work with, this directly supports his work through our profit-sharing model. After this workshop, I brought the recording equipment downstairs into an empty hotel conference room and recorded Xavier and Denzel as they talked about their love for this pepper, its story, and the ways they've collaborated to make Pippin Sauce happen. My name is Denzel Mitchell. I'm a grower, a cook, an educator. I've been working with food. Uh, for about 20 years. Xavier Brown, Soulful City, uh, just a grower, educator, community builder, connector. I learned about fish peppers from another farmer who was starting to work with restaurants. And he specifically was like, if you want to farm, you should grow fish peppers. And I was like, what's fish peppers? And he was like, look it up and then come holler at me. So I went and looked them up and then he said, grow them. And then, and then there's somebody I want you to meet because there was a chef that wanted to make hot sauce to remove Tabasco from his from his restaurant and replace it with a, a, a Maryland hot sauce. So that's how I learned about fish peppers. And so then that that sent me to Michael Twitty and then more research into Michael Twitty sent me to William, William Moyes Weaver. And then, yeah, I was like totally hooked and like locked in on the fish pepper after that. And so then we started growing them. We, we grew a fair amount um, that first year. That was like 2011. And then I essentially grew them more. We we grew a higher quantity every single year because this guy was making peppers in it or pepper pepper sauce also. Um, and then a couple of years, a few years later, then Xavier came came. Well, you know, we like reconnected. Xavier came back and said he wanted more fish pepper. So so you know, so I've been rolling with him ever since. Yeah. So when I used to go up to Denzel's farm, his farm used to be like a spot for black farmers, and it was a dope spot. He was the first person I heard talk about fish peppers and then meeting you, you were the first person I think that gave me some seeds and I learned about the history and you told me about William Ward's Weaver 
and then just kind of going down there it took me down the uh yeah just the ideation right. phase right, right, right. Oh. Like, yeah of um like what can you make i don't know what can i make you know what i'm saying because i had a bunch of peppers and it's like well see the pepper jelly or hot sauce you know let's start with the pepper jelly and then move to the hot sauce oh and you were making pepper jelly first yeah, I was making pepper jelly first you know that was like the recipe i initially had was a pepper jelly recipe and so the pepper jelly was good and the pepper jelly actually had fish peppers and bueno mulata peppers but i didn't write down the recipe so i forgot it and people still ask me about that recipe to this day because the um the texture of the sauce came out came out different it was like a little bit thicker and it had like a the bueno mulata peppers added these are when they were purple they added like a they added something I don't can't even explain. They added like something extra to it, and so people would ask me, like still to this day, like yo, people who still have that original, like backs like this much, they ask me about that. So I might actually try to, I might order some point of a lot of peppers from you actually just to try that again. But yeah, so that's like my opening seed story. Yeah, yeah, I could send some to you for sure. But like, um, what, what really drew you to the fish pepper, and like, what do you, what can you say about? Kind of your connection to its origins yeah, you know um man really just that history that that story was amazing that was like the first you know pepper I, you know a lot of like people folks from the caribbean and the scotch bond and stuff like that but folks like african-american folks from this that, that were raised here you know I, I didn't know hear about too many like peppers that like were through that lineage and i was like yo, that was dope um and they just read more and more of the story of like Horace Pippen and just the the trade, the swap, how they faded away, how they bounced back, just like the whole thing, it was just amazing to me. And then they just they look they look they're beautiful pepper, you know what I mean? Just like when they grow, they're beautiful. Um, like the different kind of colors that that it goes through. Everybody loves them when it's white and green. Just it's just a beautiful. So just that, but really that just like the story was like amazing, you know. Um, and then reading more about like. The, the 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 group of soldiers that Horace Pippen was with in World War One and reading about those dudes and how vicious they were, like the Harlem Hell fight. Like he was like before he became like Horace Pippen the painter or the gardener, he his life in war was crazy, you know. So just the, the whole story is just like amazing. You know, so that's for me. He served in he served in World War One as a Harlem Hellfighter. Um and then after the war he uh he started to paint. Um, but then he, I felt like he was kind of nomadic. Yeah, see, he was like moving around a lot. Yeah, so, see, this is at least to me, and I was reading the Bible just to refresh myself. Yes, yeah, so he's born in. I didn't realize he was born in 1888, which seems like he was born like his parents may have been enslaved. It's like you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. If you look at the time period, definitely his grandparents. He's like an old dude. He died in like 1940 something, I think. And so, I think before that, he didn't. He registered for the war and like when he was 30 years old so he went to fight war well, that's kind of like kind of old i guess in military kind of age bracket um, yeah, yeah he was like that old and um just reading about he kept a journal in the war and like had all these pictures and stuff like that and we're just talking about like how rough it was in the trenches they were getting bombed and they would have to you know crawl and just do all this crazy stuff and they went like 191 days in battle straight which is like the longest for any regiment in the entire World War One, um, and they weren't recognized after the war was over, 
And I think just reading about it and thinking about it, like in war terms now, people have like PTSD. And I think like painting was something to help him get through it. And probably gardening too. Gardening too. Yeah. Gardening. And they said, also a seed saver. And they yeah. said like after, interestingly enough, after World War One, the Ku Klux Klan like rose back up after World right. War. It was all these black soldiers coming back. So they was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like a reaction to that. And so um, a lot of his paintings kind of dealt with that kind of race, that racial tension and, you know, that white supremacy and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just all of that and to see that he was able to kind of almost like reinvent himself in a way you know, by healing himself. And yeah. there, was a, there was also another thing that I thought, remember, I I thought that the uh, the original seed stock that Horace Pippin got was from his grandfather, who was also a gardener. I feel like that's what William Moyes Weaver told told me. Was from William Moyes Weaver's grandfather. Well, he got it from Horace Pippin. Oh, it was, oh, it was William Moyes Weaver's grandfather. He got the and he got those seeds from Horace Pippin. Mm, okay, okay. But but Horace Pippin got them from the black catering communities that he was friends with in Philly and Baltimore. So that's 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 as much as we know though. Because everybody was growing Essentially, what I remember reading is that everybody was growing fish peppers because they had their own fish pepper sauce recipes. Like whatever oyster house or fish house you went to, everybody had fish peppers sauce, but everybody's was a little different. So they grew their own peppers, made their own sauce for their particular restaurant. I have a question. My thing is, that if it was so popular, how did it just like stop? You know, how did the... the you know what yeah, I'm saying? So part, it's interesting. Like, right. you think somebody, at least one or two people, would, would have kept growing them, just some home gardeners, backyard gardeners. Yeah. But it seems to have been like a point where it's like. So like, what I learned, so the, the chef that I had connected with said that the reason why fish peppers fell out of his favor is because they were so popular with oysters. So then in the 1940s, when the, when the pollution, the pollution started to raise in the Chesapeake and um, there was essentially a campaign to eat less oysters. Then a lot of the seafood houses were closing. People were eating less oysters. Tabasco was coming online and becoming like way more popular and way more um, available. And so people, and then, and then, and then, you know, as we moved into the fifties and sixties, people were just gardening less. Yeah, like there were less yeah, people yeah. gardening, you know, cause you know, with industrialization yeah, and, 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 uh, and that answers my question. I was interested to know, like, how do they just like, you know, cause there's still a lot of varieties of peppers that are still around. And this one just kind of like stopped for a second. And there's a whole generation of people that haven't even heard of it before, you know? Yeah. Right. And people originally, Use the white peppers, yes. unripe yes. peppers, and that you couldn't see the flakes in the in, fish dishes, in the fish oyster dishes. In the oyster stew, yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And I've heard murmurs that it's not like it was fully lost. Like some people say, you know, there were still people keeping it. But William Moyes Weaver reintroduced it through Seed Savers Exchange in the 90s, and it became more widely grown because of its, its powerful story. So, you know, uh, and I think, I think people talk about maybe it's origins before the black caterers, but it's all kind of just kind of guesswork. Yeah. Cause I, I had read something, maybe Twitty said this, that, that the indigenous folks gave the pepper to enslaved people and then enslaved people that there were, that were then growing them. Cause then Twitty's Twitty's list uh, was specifically Twitty's uh, like her- African American heritage culture uh, heritage collection were 
was was were all varieties that enslaved people had grown. So he was saying that enslaved folks grew them, and then they found out that there were there was this like recessive gene for white peppers that they, that then they would take in the into the homes to use to you know to not muddle cream based sauces and stuff like that. But but who knows you know because like peppers don't peppers are not uh, um, natural to this region right. They're all they're from South America, so they would have had to have gotten here mm-hmm. some some other way. So I don't know. Yeah, so that that's that story. Sorry, I heard some they come from the Caribbean. I read so that's somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, I think like Central America, Caribbean, South yeah. America, they're a little more tropical, you know. But you know, there's been sent, you know, thousands of years of trade routes up and down the continent. So who knows, you know? Right, right. Who knows? Right. Well, cutting in here to say, I looked in a couple of my pepper books to find a clearer answer to this question of origins. First of all, the fish pepper. It's the same species as bell peppers, jalapenos, cayennes, poblanos, my Italian frying peppers, and so many others, capsicum annuum. While many species of peppers are native to South America, this one was first gathered and eaten in what is now Mexico, around 7000 BCE, and first cultivated sometime between 5200 and 3400 BCE. This info is from the book Anarchy of Chiles. Now back to Denzel and Xavier. So the thing that made me fall in love with the with that particular variety of pepper was it was its story. So essentially, that it had, you know, almost almost like personified uh, the the pepper in a way that like it had that it lived through enslavement. It had lived through the uh, Jim Crow era. You know, the Red Summer of nineteen nineteen and the Black soldiers' connection to to World War One and World War Two that it, it it had been cherished and used throughout Chesapeake Bay cuisine in the uh, early 20th century. So even though the industrialization and, and pollution of you know of modern society had kind of marginalized the pepper, it was still it was still here and it was still black. Like there was nothing that I hadn't read or seen that didn't connect the pepper to the cuisine of African-American cooks. And so like when I started farming, I wanted to make sure that I honored, you know, I like to, I've always liked to cook. I wanted to be a chef. And so when I started farming, I wanted to to have a, a crop that I could particularly connect to that said that this speaks to being a, a black food maker, a black cook, a black chef, and that this is something that that black people were were excited about and relished, you know, at a particular time in history. So, you know, so as I read about the pepper and um, and then I looked in a few seed catalogs, because at the time, there, those are only two seed catalogs I ever founded in were, um, were Seed Savers and uh, and then the land and Landreth, who had that collection. And they were like this, you know, essentially, this is a black pepper. This is a black Baltimore, D.C., Philadelphia pepper, like everybody everybody who was anybody who was eating spicy food, like this is what they were eating, you know? So I was like, damn, that, that's dope. And so I, you know, I just wanted to incorporate that, but then just from a commercial aspect, like, you know, to have a chef come along who wanted to create a relationship with a farmer and specifically was also looking at for, for that same item. That was, that was like, that really helped to motivate me to, to, you know, really to, to be, to be a farmer and, and really look at, um, you know, creating an enterprise. It sounds like some themes of like your business model and like 
what you've expanded on with the pepper sauce. Yeah. So like, and I think it kind of starts like for me, just to, to veggie back over the Zill saying like keeping the culture and like the African-American culture alive in it and, and how you can, like I was saying earlier, there's not too many, you hear like folks from the Caribbean, they got scotch bonnets, they got all types of peppers, but you don't really hear too many African-American like peppers. And I, 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 I I'm familiar with at least, you know, and That's so like, yeah. you know, like the fish pepper, that was it. And then like you just said, it's from like this region. And so, and then just to kind of build off that and expand on that. And I've always like, I'm connected with a lot of growers, of course, a lot of black growers. So how can you like tell your, like I know them and I'm always telling people like, yo, I know this brother, you know, she's going out to the farm. Denzel, he's in Baltimore. He's, you know, I know Blaine, but nobody else, like nobody knows these people. So they're always just like people in my stories, but how can like people who buy it, they can like, know Denzel, they know, you know, Aaliyah, they know, you know, they know the people who are like behind on the peppers in addition to knowing like a broader history of who Horace Pippen was. So it was like, I wanted to kind of like keep that, uh, or like lift that up. Cause that was like important to me, like lifting up the voices of like the growers. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's important because what I remember seeing was like around 2000, so so I, that first the first year, I don't know what else was happening anywhere else, but I know in Baltimore, nobody else was growing fish peppers. And so we probably grew a total of like maybe 20 pounds for this for 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 Woodbury Kitchen, who wanted to start making this hot sauce. Obviously, that's not going to make very much hot sauce. But like one, there were two things that happened. One, I just remember how much he like coveted like that little bit of that that little that small amount of peppers like he was just like so excited like i can't believe that like somebody's finally growing it and i was like damn this is crazy and so you know so they so that first season they dried them and they essentially turned them into pepper flakes and they were using them in all the dishes so then what i saw is that 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 changed the menu offerings at this particular restaurant which was super popular you know a lot of people were coming to eat there but then so then that motivated me to like all right i want to grow some more so next so next year we grew even more but the other thing that happened was when people saw that success and you know which was minimal it was minuscule then so many other growers then started to grow grow the peppers and i started to see the plants at market. So like, you know, at, at the shoulders of the season when when farmers are selling transplants, now everybody's selling fish. I don't say everybody, but a lot of cats were selling fish peppers and there was no real connection to fish peppers being a part of the African-American cultural history. It was just like, oh, fish peppers. I think they from Baltimore or whatever. You know, you could walk around, you know, people don't know who they're talking to. They're like, oh, yeah, these these, you know, these are some they're hot peppers and they're striped. And I was like, damn. Um, so you know, so when people start to talk about the story of of the food, they start to talk about the story of the seed and like what it had to go through to get here to where we are. Because like every seed has this kind of story, but we don't know it, you know. So then when you start to tell that story by making sauce or like Spike is making his sauce and he's telling that story and like why it's important to what you do as a food maker, as an activist, or as a teacher, or as a chef or whatever, it's like that's that's what's more, that's what's important to me. And it's like, that's what I want to amplify. Cause you know, there's so much that we eat. We, you know, we make no connection to at all. Like, you know, we make, even if, even if it's like the particular variety that, that goes into making Heinz ketchup, you know, there's a story to that, you know, but you know, nobody, nobody knows. They don't really care. They just like where to catch up be, you know? So, so that's, that's been the thing that's been important to me. And it's like, for me, fish pepper, you know, it's been like, 
it's has been like this like companion for me of this you know over this whole i mean i guess it's been like 15 year journey now at this point that's one of the reasons why like i was trying to figure out a name in the beginning for like the sauce you know in dc they have like mumbo sauce and everybody that was from DC was always like, "Oh man, this tastes like mumbo." At least that's what DC from DC from DC would say. Oh, yeah, it's like it tastes similar to mumbo sauce. And that's that would be like their first like closest like mental connection. And so I was trying to figure out a name that like, and that for a while I was going with like something that's had like you know, like a mumbo type vibe. And then I was like, you know, I'm just gonna call it Pippin Sauce to kind of pay honor to Horace Pippin. And and so um. It's always like a conversation piece, like why is it called Pippin Sauce? And then it gives you the opportunity to tell the whole story. So I wanted to kind of keep that, yeah, just keep hold that intact. So what's, as an example, because you work with a lot of farmers that grow uh, peppers for your sauce. Like, could you describe your relationship over time with, with this pepper, with the Pippin Sauce, between the two of you? Yeah, so like... I know last year, um, I, I, I saw, I, I can't remember last, I saw Denzel somewhere and I was telling him like, yo, this is what I'm doing with the sauce. Like, you know what I'm saying? You'll be down to grow. And he was like, man, we got like X amount of high tunnels. He said like a crazy number. I was like, dang, I got that many high tunnels. And you know, he's like, yeah, we can do it. Um, and he was like, man, we, we don't even need it. We got our own peppers. Cause it, usually in DC, I give him the peppers. Like we got our own peppers, man. We like ready to rock and roll essentially. Um, at least that's what I remember from my end. And then I remember, like, just like, you know, come harvest time, he was just, he, I remember he called me, he's like, man, um, you want them red or green? I was like, I want them red. So, a few, like, like a month later, he got somebody coming down to DC, like, with, like, big bags. Probably, definitely the biggest harvest I've had, you know what I'm saying? Because when he told me that, I was like, okay, cool, you know, I'm like, I'm like all right. Then I saw him, like, sheesh, this is like all my cold storage space in the commercial kitchen is going to fill up because we had other stuff in there. So, but um, but that was motivation for us to like figure out a process to like process like a, the system to process them. So we would go in there. It took us like like three, four days in the kitchen to get through like some of those bags. So we would do like I don't know a certain amount amount of pounds at a time. You know what I'm saying? And just and go through it. You know, um, I'm not even sure we even got those big old bags from man. These like some huge plastic, like these big. Like trash bags, almost. You know yeah, what I'm it's, saying? It's funny. The, the, yeah, it's funny the uh, the like the perspectives of like I, I wish I had I wish I had been like on your side, like the receiving end, because I knew. So we we had a conversation at Radical Geographies. Okay, yeah. And you were like, um, you wanted to you wanted more peppers, mm -hmm. and you wanted you wanted to get them from black growers, and of course, like I was like, man, I'm all about it. I you know I want to grow fish peppers any day of the week. And I was like, I bet I got you. So I told him, just like he said, I did some quick math. I was like, yeah, we could probably do like three or 400 pounds. And he was like, oh, all right, all right, bet, you know. I, but I could see in his eyes, like he didn't really know what that looked like. I knew, I knew what it was. And this was the thing that was super dope. He actually grew the plants out for us. So like I had some seed that I was going to, that I was going to, propagate and grow out but you you wouldn't I, I yeah you you gave us plants you gave it and i like i told you how many plants i wanted yeah. and and i um, mean you showed up i mean you, you where, which where did you, where, where did from sharps you you grew them out from sharps you yeah. get you took seeds to sharps yeah, i remember when did we link up and i gave you that you never gave them to me. Oh, you yeah. gave them the sharps, and then yeah. i just went and got the plants oh. i went and got the plants and i and i put them in but i, I got we put in we put in 250 plants mm -hmm. And I think I had, yeah, I did a little quick math based on like my, you know, the 
you know, bed space and all that. And I was like, yeah, we could probably do about three or 400 pounds. And he was like, oh, bet, that's cool. And we, you know, and then I was actually surprised too. You know, I was like, but yo, bro, we got, yeah, we got like, we got 200 pounds. And so that first hit was like, was almost 200 pounds. Yeah, I was, yo, it was <laughs> a lot of peppers. It almost, I was like, jeez. I would have paid my last paycheck to like, because I just had, my, I just sent my delivery guy to DC to, to drop him off. But like, yeah, I, I, I knew that like when you saw the amount of peppers, because it was, and it was us. And then I think the second time it was us. And then the blues had some too. They had a lot too. They had like maybe 30, I was 40 trying pounds. I composed when I saw the dude. I wasn't trying to be like, oh shit. I was like, okay, cool. Let me figure out what the hell I'm going to do with all these peppers, man. And so like cold storage was like the biggest thing I like ran up against because I, I just couldn't. Like he said, he said 300. I'm like, cool, that's what's up. Let's do it. But I didn't know like what that actually looked like. So now, like 2020, I have like a a big a vision of like, all right, I might have to talk to Blaine and them and see like, you know, what would it cost to build like a little mini walk-in something or you know. Uh, how many pounds did you end up? T- total pounds you end up getting? Because it was us. It was the blues. Y'all, far, y'all, y'all from Baltimore gave me by far more than anybody from DC. Okay. I mean, I probably got like. Close to like five, six hundred pounds total. You know what I'm saying? Folks in DC didn't produce nearly as much. He's like, y'all were like cranking them out. And the blues, I mean, they they were they were you know they were on it as yeah. far as like is she? She made. I saw her somewhere. She called me or something. I was like, hey, you know, we're ready. You know, whenever you wanted, ready for this year. You know what I'm saying? Like they're ready to go. So, um, and I met them earlier when Leah Pendleman came. Mm-hmm. The first time. That's the first time I met them. Oh. At Dubco. At Dubco. That was the first. I didn't know. I didn't know them. I met them there, and we connected, and then we fell off. And then somebody connected us again. I'm not sure who. And then they were just pepper showed up, you know. Right. So it, it worked out, man. And, and it's it's amazing, like for me, like how many seeds, like out of all, it's like a, I don't know, like a hundred, five hundred thousand seeds, maybe a million seeds, like coming from all those plants. You know what I mean? And so it's just amazing, like. Like the abundance, that's what just made me think of is like the nature is like abundant, man. With all those peppers, it's like crazy how like, you know, you don't even probably really have to really work hard for fish peppers to really produce. You know what I mean? If you give them the right setup, they're going to kind of like do their thing and you can just sit back and watch for real, you know? Yeah, the catering, the catering company that I work with, we actually took the, we took our excess mm-hmm. and uh and we did, we made, we we do we do a, a, a pepper relish, and so I was able to make like probably twenty quarts of just like straight uh, fish pepper pepper relish. Yeah, it was yeah. So that was good too, because that wasn't something that we we had been able to incorporate in our menu before. You know, we make all our own condiments, so I couldn't get hot sauce from you, but like so that that was dope too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, fish pepper is amazing. Man. I love it's like definitely top five plants for me. Um, there's not too many of them that I know the history. And now I feel like I'm a part of that history now. You know what I'm saying? As far as like people that get it now, they have to like mention my name and Giselle's name. It goes all the way back up to you, you know, William Wars Weaver, his grandfather, and you know. So we're like part of the that history in in a way. So I think that's kind of dope. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's beautiful. And, and I I really liked in your talk earlier like your emphasis on why you do this work. Yeah. You know, people are asking you about the business model and stuff, but I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so so I, I just like to, to I like to keep that history alive. I feel like I'm like almost like a, a agricultural griot or something, like keeping the history and it's like passing it on, you know? Uh, so I think that's important. I like working with the different growers and like being able, even if it's like a little bit of money, like they have a guaranteed sale 
at least for me, they know like, hey, grow peppers for Xavier. You know, check on comment or Cash App, however they get paid. Um, I like to be able to have something to like hire young folks in the neighborhood who need an opportunity or something. So that's always been consistent. And at this point, I've been working with the same the same guys for like two years, two, three years in a row now. So they pretty much have like understand like what we got to do when we go into commercial kitchen. You got to wash your hands. We got the gloves. We got hair net. We got all this type of stuff. They know how to operate everything. They know the recipe. They know they could probably, they could really do it themselves. Um, I mean, they're just not old enough to be in the kitchen by themselves. I don't think they're like 17. They're like teenagers, but like just that position. And ideally I would love to like be able to step back and have them like to be able to run the whole machine. And I just might be the person like delivering the sauce and making sure all the numbers are right. But, um, so just that kind of thing. I would love to expand more, but I feel like if I didn't, I still like, I kind of already, reached my victory point already. So everything else other than this is like icing. You know what I'm saying? I, I wanted to do something where connected all the farmers that I love this, you know, in my network, tell a story, make a product, keeps African-American history alive. So it checked off all my boxes. So other than anything else is like, just, you know, it's extra, you know what I mean? Yeah. Thank you so much again to Xavier Brown and Soilful City. And Denzel Mitchell, who is now the deputy director of the Farm Alliance of Baltimore. Next up, we speak with Dr. William Moise Weaver himself. This interview is from last summer, 2019, when the True Love Seeds team, apprentices and all, visited his Roughwood Seed Collection to meet Will and the new seed collection manager, Stephen Smith, and to see the gardens and seed collection and lend a hand clearing some beds. For four years, I helped Dr. Weaver grow and save seeds from the 4,000 varieties of heirloom plants in his historic house and gardens. During this interview, we are sitting in his large, dim dining room, which doubles as a seed drying room, and which is nestled in a corner of the once-bustling Lamb Tavern. This inn opened in 1812 and was the last stop before arriving in Philadelphia from the West. Dr. Weaver is an internationally known food ethnographer and author of 20 books dealing with culinary history and heritage seeds. Working with him introduced me to the world of keeping seeds and telling their stories, and I will forever be grateful for that. Just before we started recording, Dr. Weaver started talking about what he had recently learned from a curator from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, who was working on a biography of Horace Pippin. She told me that... Um... Horace Pippin himself had a garden behind his house. So that would explain why he was seed savvy, I think. But we also noticed that the things that he gave my grandfather were all how they were filtered through his artist's eye. So the stuff was beautiful, not just interesting as food, but also showy. Like the Buena Malata pepper, you know, I mean, can it get more beautiful than that? So, um, yeah, but my grandfather um, knew Pippin. I'm not quite sure how the two hooked up, but they were very good friends. And he, he spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. His wife worked as a um, um, seamstress and to, took in laundry, but she also worked part-time for um, a caterer, in, an African-American caterer in, in Westchester. And I met 
Oh, oh now I'm trying to think of their name. <laughs> De Baptistes. And I met Mrs. De Baptiste. She was an ancient lady, and she um, catered a party for me because my grandmother knew her. And um, and I asked her about Pippin, and oh yes, Mr. Pippin. And but I didn't think to sit down with her and get some stories because she knew Pippin's wife, because his Pippin's wife would would um, what would what do you call it? Moonlight, I guess by working part-time for these catering events. Usually they were big African-American funerals, you know, they got big dinners and they need a lot of extra help. And I think that's what she did. But that seed network is, is how Pippin got some of his things that he grew. And um, so that, that all came out, it was rather interesting. But I'm not surprised. I know that um, Mr. Pippin liked my grandmother's fried chicken. So, I'll tell you also, um, my grandparents were Quakers, and Pippin uh, sat at our table and ate with us. It's probably the only house in Westchester at that particular time where people were colorblind, because Westchester was really segregated into the 50s, and it was not a very nice scene. So, I guess... Um, I, yeah, it, there was even a separate school for the kids and everything. Um, you would think, being in Pennsylvania, it wasn't deep south, but there was a certain mentality out there. Isn't the story with the Pippin Peppers that they they were in the baby food jars with Pippin's name on them when you found them in the 60s? Yeah. Um, my grandfather died suddenly and unexpectedly, and he's left the seed collection down in in the deep freeze. So there were baby food jars all in the bottom of the freezer. And, um, and that's where, that's where a lot of these peppers were located. Um, yeah. And there, some of them were marked or some of them, my grandmother simply knew, oh, those are Pippin peppers, you know, blah, blah, that sort of thing. My grandfather somewhere had a list, but we never found it. So all I could go by was what was written on these he put tape over the top of the jars, you know, like that white tape you used to wrap band-aids, and then wrote, wrote on that. So some of them got kind of blurry, and um, there was a little bit of guesswork going on there. But uh, yeah, that's basically what happened. Um, I won't tell you how many things I lost, but you know, because I, I didn't really know how to deal with frozen seed because nobody told me. And it, of course, you know, now I know you would want to let them sit out for a while and get, come up to room temperature and all of that. And I was sort of taking them frozen and putting them in potting soil and hit or miss, you know. And then I began to realize this doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. And I started to read up. Okay, that's something my grandfather didn't teach me, but he knew all about that. He was actually a very smart botanist. He grafted um, uh, Franklinia onto some root. Yeah, yes. I have the tree out here, and it must be over 60 years old. Half of it's gone because the big ash tree fell on it. I, we can't figure out what it was, but he, you know, Franklinia isn't supposed to live very long. 
And um, well, I brought that bush over here from Westchester and it was already old. So there are these mysteries that, um, I don't know, Stephen can't figure it out either. We can't figure out what the root system is, but it's something that works. And would you say you got all of this spark for the plant world from your grandfather? And, and you spent a lot of time there as a kid too, right? Yeah, I grew up there in the house. So I was underfoot. <laughs> my grandmother was cooking and so sent me to the garden and I was out there with my grandfather all the time. He gave me little tools. I had my little wheelbarrow, you know, I had all my miniature tools. So, um, and he would talk, he would tell me things and I didn't realize how much I was absorbing, but it was at that age and stage in life where you really do. It's like I was learning French and didn't know it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and he had bees and he had racing pigeons. Um, he had fruit trees. He grafted. I swear he could graft um, a tree to the side of the house and it would grow. <laughs> I mean, he could just stick it in. He had the touch, but he was... Um, yeah. Um, what, what's his official name, his public name? What do you mean? He, he went by H. Ralph Weaver. His H was Homer, and he hated it. <laughs> <laughs> and my father was also H. William Weaver. It was this Homer thing. And my father swore when I was born that Homer was going to be a dead name, no more in the family. I had a great great-grandmother who was very much a, a classicist, so she named all of her children with these names from antiquity, and um, it wasn't too popular with the men <laughs> who got the names. But anyway, Homer, I had a, Homer Abraham was my grandfather's father. So, and then we also, uh, we also had seeds coming in from the Weaver side of the family, because my great-great-grandfather, Abraham Weaver, went to Paris in 1878 with his wife. Um, they were actually going to Switzerland to, 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 to you know, check out our roots, because we're from Switzerland originally. Weaver used to be Weber in Swiss, all right? We trail off the interview here as Dr. Weaver is talking about his explorations to his ancestral homeland of Switzerland, because it leads us into our next conversation with Michael Twitty. Hello. Hi, it's Owen. Hi, Owen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Brother Michael talks about his own research into his heritage as someone mostly descended from West Africans and whose names and villages were mostly lost to the legacy of slavery on this continent. Michael W. Twitty is a recognized culinary historian and independent scholar focusing on historic African-American food and folk culture and culinary traditions of historic Africa and her diaspora. He is a living history interpreter and historic chef, one of the few recognized international experts of his craft. The reconstruction of early Southern cuisine as prepared by enslaved African-American cooks 
for tables high and low, from heirloom seeds and heritage breed animals to fish, game, and foraged plant foods to historic cooking methods to the table. This interview was never intended to be listened to quite like this. The interviews from April 2019, a time before we had decided to make this podcast. I was interviewing him for an article I had been asked to write for a national gardening magazine on seeds and foodways of the African diaspora. I was recording from my computer while my phone call was on speaker, and I was vigorously writing notes on scraps of paper. So the sound quality is not excellent, and you can hear me scribbling and making noises of agreement. That said, Michael is brilliant, and he talks brilliantly about the fish pepper and African diasporic food in general, so we had to include it. Brother Michael starts out talking about his research into his ancestry. Yeah, I mean, I, I do this. I do this constantly. I work with all sorts of texts that in, that talk about West African uh, botanical heritage and usage of plants and crops and trees all the time. I'm always studying how plants are grown together in West Africa and because we know. This is very important. I want you to make sure you include this, please. Okay. Because we know more about the ethnic origins of our ancestors, uh, because of research of the slave trade, but also because we have also done our own DNA. Those studies are invaluable because what's actually going on, and I'm surprised that, well, I think it's because nobody... Nobody, <laughs> the, the sources are a little bit too too pedestrian for some scholars. Where our blood is showing us. When I connect, when I'm on Ancestry or I'm an African Ancestry or some other company and I'm dialoguing with or in direct contact with the, with the evidence that I am from a specific group, not just West African, someone's Fulani or someone is... Mandinka, or someone's Wolof, or someone's Congo, or someone's Yoruba, or Igbo, or Akan, blah, 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 etc. Or Mende. And particularly when I'm coming, you know, talking about ancestors from a certain state or area that receives specific populations, it's amazing because now we are beyond just saying West Central African. We are actually saying, okay, these ethnic groups contributed to. And it really is all the usual suspects. It's like, wow, yep, that's us. There, there's, there's only so much, you know, weird variance in these in these genetic narratives. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you get a little East Africa, sometimes a little Madagascar, mm -hmm. but for the most part, it's exactly where you'd expect. <laughs> and it's and it's re repetitive, and it's like. And it's just multiple people saying, you know, just saying, I, I took a DNA test, I'm West African, I'm Yoruba, mm -hmm. and then we have all these American cousins who also took the DNA test. And that, to me, is very powerful because, you know, we didn't have those direct links 100 years ago, 50 years ago. And now an African-American can genuinely say, I am from this part of the continent, here are my other roots that are not African, they are from here, and my roots in Africa are here. And he's spoken to my cousin, and I know our name before slavery. And how does that kind of impact your relationship to this narrative around food ways? 
it makes the plants my own. I mean, I remember when I met the fish pepper. And famously, you know, the fish pepper that I bought, the first one I bought at a colonial market or whatever, was called the Thai fish pepper. <laughs> I, knew this, I knew this bad boy wasn't Thai. <laughs> I was like, you don't look Thai to me. <laughs> and I took it home and I grew it and I loved it and I fell in love with it. And I said, I got to find more about this thing. And that's when I started talking to, to Dr. Weaver. And he said, you're exactly right. There ain't nothing to talk about it. In fact, here's the story that I know. Here's how I came across the seed. Go ahead. Do your do, do some research. Find something else out. He, and I, I was like, this is this Negro pepper, the African pepper. I mean, there's a reason why it's part of us. There's a reason why it's in our community. Horace Pippen doesn't have his hands in us for no reason. These A-rappers didn't have their hands in us for no reason. So what? So what are these uniquely... Black stories. What makes them? What makes them a part of us? I mean, so often people figure, oh, you know, we have to be given stuff. That's what I'm so angry about. Every time I would read those stupid beginnings of the books about black food, and it, the chapter it opens with Columbus as if we were starving before this <laughs> asshole showed up. Right. Like we were just waiting on an Italian to make a delivery. <laughs> right. I mean, are you kidding me? It's like when the delivery goes show, we starving. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've only been here for seventy thousand years mm -hmm. as West Africans with two thousand indigenous food plants and thousands of fish and animals and birds to eat. But nah, we waiting on a pizza order from Genoa. <laughs> It's like, how ridiculous is that? Not to mention the fact that foods had already begun to diffuse from Southeast Asia, from the Mediterranean, right, and and from Europe and the Middle East. Yep. And it already happened. And foods from Africa had already been done moved to Europe, to 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 Asia, to the Middle East. So for me, I guess personally. It's just, it's a, it's deeply a matter of pride. I mean, I'm not going to front for anybody. This is about cultural pride, ethnic pride. It's about having a sense of identity in these plants. These plants are part of my human story. And that's why I've gone out of my way to intertwine those narratives. Because I really want people to understand, you know, if you think that a grape, is part of the Italian or Armenian American narrative. Or rights is part of the Asian American narrative. What's my narrative? Don't I get to be human too? And of course we know that in Latin, the word human and the word humus, which means soil, are related. You are not human without the soil. I mean, in, in in Jewish tradition, which I adhere to, Adam, the, the human being, comes from Adama, the earth. We are literally called the earth creature in Hebrew. When we're trying to connect and correct, connect to our roots, 
and correct our story, we want accuracy. We want foundations. Mm -hmm. We want culture. We want culture. Even that word, culture, referring to the human productions and narratives and artifacts and social means by which we by which we we go beyond our animal nature is related to the Latin word for cultivation, cultus. Mm -hmm. cultus. We can't get away from this. Your 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 ecological and ecosystem makeup and how you interact with it is vital to how your humanity and how your civilization is defined. What what would you say? And this, I guess this is my my last question. You you brought up like that moment you fell in love with the fish pepper. You know you brought up like what are the uniquely black stories and this like sense that we all have of like needing to have this identity in these plants, but how it's like uniquely a also an African diasporic experience. Like what right. would you say? What would you say to kind of all these young people now, or really at any age, who are like longing for these feelings of love for these plants and this reunite reuniting with with African diasporic. Um, plants and culture. Think about how it, how it applies to your own family story. Start there. My grandmother loved that, uh, that little jar of homemade, you know, pepper sauce, pepper vinegar. And to be able to find that sort of narrative 200, 300 years ago in the works of other people was very powerful. Be able to, to understand how these plants and how their proverbs and how the stories of the food work in terms of West African culture was very powerful. Because that automatically, I knew that no matter what anybody said, I had a heritage. Right. I had a deep, deep past. So I think the best thing we can do is think about the plants and the foods, the ingredients that have really shaped our own family and personal journeys and really work through that. And by working through that, I mean, do the research, do the homework, you know, look at how, look at the, the story on the other side of the Atlantic, in the Caribbean, Brazil, in the American South, beyond the American South. And just know that those stories are proxy for your own journey. I mean, that's what the cooking gene was all about, right? It was all about when life gives me this mosaic missing these jewels, these precious jewels, then I can sort of imagine what they look like based on the stories around the lives of the people. I may be missing a name or this or that, but I know we were both eating sweet potato. Right. And I got a you know, I'm sharing a stomach with my ancestors. Mm. And my stomach is where my back, some of my knowledge is located. My bacteria of memory are located. That's where, you know, when you look at West African art, power objects, it's always stored in the stomach. Totally. Wow. So it's like that, that belly knowledge, that, that kishka knowledge, right. that, that intestinal wisdom, that intuition, mm -hmm. we're tapping into that through this work, and we're making it possible for people to connect 
with ancestors that unfortunately some of the traumas of the past have made remote, but they have not obliterated them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you so much. No worries, no worries. I really appreciate And this is where I took it off speakerphone abruptly and stopped recording so we could say our goodbyes. And because I didn't plan on sharing the audio. But aren't you glad we did anyways? We are so grateful for Brother Michael Twitty, Dr. William Boyce Weaver, and Brother Xavier and Denzel for taking the time to share their love for the fish pepper and his many stories in this episode. And thank you for listening and sharing this episode of Seeds and Their People with your loved ones. Please also subscribe and please leave a positive review. Thank you also for supporting our seed keeping and storytelling work by ordering seeds, calendars, and more from our web catalog at trueloveseeds.com. Remember, keeping seeds is an act of true love for our ancestors and our collective future. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.